0: Oops, Cura Tim. Bit of a delay there. How are you doing? I am very good, thanks. Excellent. There's a bit of a delay on the line, so I I will try and keep my questions nice, uh, nice and smooth without interrupting you. Firstly, the question around cabinet meeting um, around the restrictions: is there any point to the traffic light system now?
1: Look, I think uh, it's outlived its usefulness. Remember, it came in last year when we had the Delta variant outbreak, and a big part of it was uh, the vaccine mandates that went along with it. And we've moved on hugely. And in many ways, um, the orange and green lights don't really mean so much now. And I don't think we'd want um, the green light, which, as it's written, is really no restrictions at all. I think we will eventually get to no restrictions, hopefully, but we, I don't think we're quite ready for them yet with um, Omicron still circulating. Although I see the numbers today, you know, down below a 1,000 for the first time since February, which is great news because that means that all of the negative effects of the pandemic are going to drop away, including hospitalizations and deaths.
0: So what is the difference between green and no system at all?
1: Well, that's right. Green is essentially, I mean, it's only really about masks now um, in terms of the traffic light system. And green is basically removing all restrictions. Uh, So um, I think most, um, even most political leaders, certainly most health leaders, think that we need to have masks as a requirement in some environments, particularly healthcare settings where you have vulnerable people and also where Uh, people who are sick will congregate like doctors, waiting rooms and emergency departments. So I think there is a need for masks. Uh, The other thing is that the other key um, control we've got at the moment is isolating at home when you're sick. That's not even part of the traffic light system. And again, I think most people believe that we need to keep doing that. Um, If you're sick, it's just fundamental that you don't go off to work and school and socialise and infect people around you. I don't think anyone wants that.
0: Yes, that's one of the things that stood out to me was um, when I looked at it is that there's a lot of law that's around um, our treatment of COVID-19 that actually have nothing to do with the, COVID, with the traffic light system, which are more about just our way of life generally, such as um, the law that you must isolate still. I imagine that would still stay in place. Would you also expect that there should be freedom for businesses or the, the legislation for businesses to make decisions, such as retirement villagers who might have rules around their staff and visitors attending um, those premises?
1: Yeah, look, I think uh, they're already um, doing very well at limiting transmission in aged care facilities, and I think they probably all do have different protocols, uh, but I, I think that's still gonna be really important. At the same time, of course, you want people in those facilities to enjoy life as much as possible and obviously interact with family and friends in the most normal po- possible ways. So I think it's, it's getting that balance right. But the um, fundamentals, I think, are, are still there, that you, you need masks in some really high-risk situations. You need to self-isolate. And it doesn't matter what you've got, if you've got um, flu or, uh, you know, I mean, influenza, or COVID-19. Initially, you won't know because you've got quite similar symptoms. Uh, in the future, we will have rapid antigen tests more widely available for flu and COVID-19, and probably even a combined test. So, uh, th- these are still really important concepts. Um, you know, prior to COVID-19, we had the idea. You know, it was great to soldier on at work and so on. And I think we've, hopefully that idea has gone for good. Mm. That actually, it's not a service to people that you work with to go and infect them all. And in fact, I don't think employers want their sick workers coming to work either. It's not good for them or their their customers.
0: What about the vaccine mandates as well? Because, uh, look, it's endemic in the community, including people who are vaccinated have had the disease as well. Um, It's an emotive issue, but we're missing hundreds um, of midwives and nurses. Do you think it's time to also get rid of those vaccine mandates for those jobs, given that the health professions can put in place rules around PPE etc which they are doing for people anyway
1: Yeah look I think this is again a great issue that for decades there's been an expectation for many healthcare workers they would get vaccinated when you went through medical school everyone got vaccinated for Hep B and the the childhood vaccinations if you're going to work on a ward with sick children um, who are having chemotherapy and so on it was just absolutely the norm that everyone would get vaccinated and I think Uh, Now it's just become more that we have to make it more explicit. Mm. Um, I always think it's a bit like, um, you know, what we do with um, body armour for our um, armed forces and even police sometimes. It's just an occupational health and safety measure that these workers have to be protected. And I don't think they argue against it. I just think that's part of the job. I think it's the same for healthcare workers. We have to accept that um, for our occupational health and safety, we need to be vaccinated. Um, It does protect the people we're treating it also helps to maintain a workforce particularly over winter when it can get quite depleted with um, these winter illnesses and I think the other thing is just basic integrity I mean we're in the business of using best evidence and I think otherwise we're hypocrites if we don't follow that advice ourselves so I do think it needs to be formalized as an expectation that healthcare workers will be vaccinated whether it requires a law or it requires some other change in our um, ethical standards of practice. I just don't think it's tenable for for healthcare workers not to be vaccinated against uh, these serious infectious diseases. Mm.
0: What about, um, look, we've been living with COVID. It's been a long time, hasn't it? Over two years. How long have we been talking to you for? I mean, and how many interviews? There's been so many issues around the, uh, there have been so many issues around um, the management and our and the, our handling of it, and questions about what the government's done right, what they've done wrong, the questions around border testing, quarantine, restriction of freedoms, rat tests, you know, um, the acquisition of vaccines. Should we be having um, a COVID inquiry uh, sooner rather than later? Because I would have thought that why wouldn't we?
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, we need a forward-looking inquiry which says, what can we learn from this um, that we can apply to make New Zealand a safer, healthier place in the future? There's so many lessons um, we can learn from this. I, I think it'll be a pity if it if it focuses on just the things that didn't go right. Mm. I think it's much better if it if it's forward-looking. And remember, we had a huge inquiry after the 1918 flu pandemic that resulted in a rewrite of some of our key bits of health legislation, and we learned a huge amount from it. and Although, I mean, um, uh, it sounds a bit to say um, that actually there are a lot of positive things that have come out of the pandemic, mm. and I think we can build on those. I mean, obviously, it's um, shocking at a global level. I mean, it's, um, uh, COVID-19 has been the, the biggest um, cause of death in the world for the last two years, and um, uh, New Zealand has avoided the worst of that. Yeah. We're still one of the only countries on Earth that actually has no excess mortality at this point in time. So that's a huge achievement. I don't think we should be too... I think we should actually pause and reflect that New Zealand's done exceptionally well at a global level in, in relative terms.
0: Yeah. Uh, are you actually on holiday in the Philippines or are you, you over there for some work things?
1: I'm actually, I'm on a, a World Health Organisation group that meets every year, and we've got a week of meetings here at the moment in Manila, which is actually where the regional office for the whole Western Pacific is. And so I'm just here for that period. But it will be mainly sitting inside um, uh, meetings in, in the hotel or the WHO regional office. So it's not exactly a holiday, but it is amazing to be traveling again. It's a new thing for me.
0: Fantastic. Well, Michael, uh, Dr Michael Baker, thanks very much for your time. Uh, we really appreciate it, and uh, enjoy yourself in the uh, in the Philippines uh, if you get the t- chance to spread your legs outside of all those meetings. Um, right, anyway, um, the other big news, of course, of this week, uh, doesn't need any explaining, uh, maybe it does a little bit, but uh, in terms of the consequences and what where we go from here. But earlier today, His Royal Highness King Charles III was officially proclaimed as New Zealand's new king after the passing of his mother, Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, New Zealand's ceremony came after the official ceremony by the Accession Council in the United Kingdom yesterday and the chair of Monarchy, Monarchy New Zealand, Dr Sean Palmer,